Howdy folks. Today we are going to talk about 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 6 through 8. We're going to be talking about Jesus, the chief cornerstone. Things we started talking about last week in our study of verses 4 and 5 and we're going to pick up some of those elements and carry on from there. And as we get into this study, I love this because every time you grow in the Word of God, like you, you have this base knowledge and then you add to it and your understanding opens. And I love how this context is helpful to people in understanding things that maybe seem elementary, but one of my favorite words in teaching is the word balance. And typically what gets people in trouble with the Word of God is they read one context and they come to a conclusion as though that's the whole conclusion on the subject matter. For example, what we're going to talk about in part today is that Jesus, as the rejected chief cornerstone, who is precious to us who are believers, was a stumbling block to the children of Israel. Generally speaking, when you think about somebody being a stumbling block, that's not a favorable thought. In fact, in Romans chapter 14 and 1 Corinthians chapter 8, both chapters that are dealing with how a faithful child of God cannot allow their liberties in Christ to become a stumbling block to those who may be weak in the faith or those outside of the faith. In Romans 14, 13, says, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Then later in that context, in verse 21, says, It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. In 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, same Contextual subject matter is Romans 14 says, but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. In general, we who are God's people try to steer very clear away from being a stumbling block to others or call, causing an offense especially to the weak conscience of others. In Luke 17, verses 1 and 2, Jesus said to his disciples, It is impossible that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast in the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. And again, like I mentioned earlier, but let me put a scripture to it, even not only just talking about those within the faith and those that might be weak within the faith, but even those that are of the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 32 and 33, context like unto that of Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8, says, give, in 1 Corinthians 10, 32 and 33, says, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. So there you've got those outside and those within. Paul says, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they might be saved. You might be familiar 
if you are a student of God's word with 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul was talking about in his efforts to preach the gospel, how he was free from all men, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 and following, yet he made himself servant to all that he may gain the more. He said unto the Jews, I became a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under law, as under law, that I might gain them that are under law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I, by all means, might save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker thereof with you. Now he goes on in that context to talk about finishing the course and being subject, uh, not, not allowing himself to, to become a castaway, being subject to the will of God, etc. But within the framework of authorized liberties, we are taught in the scriptures very clearly don't cause an offense. So we get a balance point here in 1 Peter 2, 6-8 that Jesus was an offense. He was a stumbling block, using those ter terms interchangeably. And it's very important for us to understand this balance, that there are times where you must, to be a faithful child of God, become an offense, become a stumbling block to others. Think about this in regards to teaching the truth, how the Word of God and the teaching of the Word of God, regardless of how you present it, can be a stumbling block to some. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and, and now remember, it's same Holy Spirit that authors all scriptures, the Holy Spirit that has come as Jesus sent him to guide the apostles into all truth, John 16, 13, and the same penman in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that we're going to read verses 18 through 24, and the apostle Paul that also penned Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, and 1 Corinthians 10 that we've already read about, writes this, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, notice this language, unto the Jews a stumbling block. So the preaching of Christ is what to the Jews? A stumbling block. But, and, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and is the wisdom of God. You know, the power of God being the gospel, Romans 1.16. So it's the equivalent of saying Christ is the gospel, right? Christ is the good news. This is wonderful to balance our understanding of not being stumbling blocks. We cannot be in areas of liberty, but in areas of law, like in where we are expected of God not to compromise the truth, there are times where we are going to be stumbling blocks to people because we taught them the truth. And in such occasions, we ought not confess to God any type of sin because like Christ who was perfect was a stumbling block to the Jews, 
we will be to those to whom we declare the truth. And you can see that Jesus is unapologetic in these situations. In Matthew 15, 1 through 14, says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy tra disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said to them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the multitude, and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth in the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth the man. Then came his disciples. And said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. You see, Jesus became offensive to those that heard him teach against the traditions and doctrines of men, but he did not apologize in that circumstance, in that situation. He was unapologetic. He didn't sit there and, and tell them, hey, I'm sorry that I've offended you. I'm sorry that I've stood in your way or any like manner. He caused offense and he let it be at that. We look at Jesus as our perfect example and rightfully so, for in 1 Peter 2, 21 and 22, that we'll get to later in our study of, of this great book, says, he even unto where you called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth. So if we follow the example of Jesus, there are times where in teaching the truth is going to offend people, and that means that we are going to offend people with the truth, we are not to apologize. We're not to step back and say, you know, what have I done here? Uh, how, how, how do I make this right? Or any like manner. When we think about terms translated like offended, you know, when you think about the wording of, of what we see in this particular context when the disciples came to Jesus and said, knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended? It's scandalizo or something like that. It means to scandalize. You know, it's, think about that word, right? To scandalize, to trip up, to cause to stumble, to entice to sin, apostasy or, or, or displeasure. So what the disciples came to Jesus saying knowest not that the Pharisees were scandalized, tripped up, made to stumble, enticed to sin after they heard this saying. And Jesus did not apologize for that. 
He did not make any type of confession for that, and he did not sin because he was sinless. Jesus later said in Luke 7, 23, that same Greek word, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. That implies, it infers that there are those that are offended by Jesus. And I got to tell you, from years in teaching the truth, when people actually get to know the Jesus that the scriptures reveal, rather than the Jesus that they've made up in their own minds, they are very offended. Jesus is offensive. So to our text, what we're going to study and the wonderful lessons we're going to glean from it. Let's get this. 1 Peter 2, 6-8 reads, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion. It says Zion in the King James Version. Just understand in the KJV here, the difference between the Old Testament Zion, Z-I-O-N, and the New Testament Zion is just the difference of translation from Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New. So it's the same place, same wording, and we'll, we'll get into some of that here as we go through this lesson. It says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. That's It's wonderful. I can't wait. It, okay, let me keep reading. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, Notice that, unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, and you're going to see in our lesson, this is talking about the children of Israel, the Jews, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed." Wonderful stuff, not extremely complicated, but wonderful stuff to talk about. Peter's referring to Isaiah 28, 16, where it says, thus, for, thus, therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Now, listen, when we look at God and who God is and the history of who God is, God is. And, and three persons, remember, there are three persons of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three separate beings that make up deity. God's offensive. Even when we look back at the Old Testament, say, for example, just to grab some context here, I'm, I'm going to read from Isaiah 8, 1 through 15, just so you can grab a little bit of, of what the context is, uh, even though the point that we're going to talk about is really in Isaiah 8, 14, the last verse we'll read. The text says, Moreover, the Lord said unto me, this is Isaiah, Take thee a great roll, and write in it with a man's pen concerning Malhau shall has a baz. Hash baz. Boy, my pronunciation bad. And I took unto me faithful witnesses to record, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jerobachiah. And I went unto the prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord to me, Call his name Ma-her-shal-ah-hash-baz. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father and my mother, the riches of Damascus, and the spoil of Samaria 
shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. So here it's the Lord foretelling through Isaiah the Assyrian evasion that's going to come upon the children of Israel all the way up to Judah. If you go back and you do your studies in 2 Kings and pay particular attention to chapter 17 and 18 and following in the life of Hezekiah. So verse 5, the Lord spake also unto me again, saying, For as much as this people refuseth the waters of Shiloh, that go softly, and rejoice in Raisin and Ramallah's son. Now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth upon them the waters of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria in all his glory. And he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks. So he's describing the Assyrians as a flood, right? And he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck and the stretching out of the wings shall fill the breath of the land, O Emmanuel. Now we know that's in reference when we look at the fulfillment of prophecies, right? That's in fulfillment to uh, Jesus. That's looking forward when we think about his name, Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us, Matthew 1 and verse 23. So Isaiah 8, 9 says, Associate yourselves, O ye people, and you shall be broken in pieces, and give ear, all ye far countries. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, you shall be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. So you see that looking forward too, right? Verse 11, for the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, say ye not a confederacy. To all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy, neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense to both the house of Israel, for a sign and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that has a looking forward, but it also has in that prophetic context and a, a more immediate application to Assyria. So think about it. The Lord has been a stumbling block to the builders of a long time. In the first century, it was the refusal for them to believe in Jesus over the works of the law of Moses that caused them to stumble. In Romans chapter 9, verses 30 through 33, and we, we, we certainly, the book of Romans gives us a lot of commentary on what we're talking about in this context, and we'll be coming back and reading more uh, here in just a bit. But Romans 9, 30 through 33, what should we say then? That the Gentiles, which follow not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, what followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as, that, as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I land Zion, a stumbling and a stone and a rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So you can see this prophecy coming to play and how the children of Israel did not obey the teaching of Jesus but they sought righteousness through the works of the law of Moses. 
And that's huge in your studies of the book of Romans. That's huge. Don't, don't miss that. People get tripped up in Romans chapter 4, particularly when it talks about not by, not by works, but by faith. And they're thinking the works there are works in general. That's not the truth. It's talking about the works of the law of Moses. Why you have to take the whole letter in, in its context. Well, back to our subject matter. Sion, Matthew 21 and verse 5 says, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the fowl of an ass. In Romans eleven twenty six, So Israel shall be saved. It is written, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So when you think about reading these scriptures, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and, and you got this entry there, you know, it's tell the daughter of Zion, and you got the, the wording there in Romans eleven twenty six. Think about the importance to Zion, to those that were the children of Israel, and even prophecies that went into play. Back to 1 Kings 8 and verse 1, and under the old law, Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and the heads of all the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, under King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. In Psalm 2, 6, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. In Psalm 102, 16, when the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. In Psalm 128.5, the Lord shall bless thee out of Zion and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. And by the way, Zion is just a mountain in Jerusalem. Psalm 135.21 says, Blessed be the Lord out of Zion, which dwelleth in Jeru at Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. Isaiah 4.3, It shall come to pass that he is left in Zion. He that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be holy, even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. Zechariah 8, 3, Thus saith the Lord, I return unto Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. So it's the city of David. It's the holy mountain. It's their place of safety. It's their place of salvation. So out of Zion comes the Lord, and the prophetic language that's used in there should have meant that to the children of Israel, that this is he who represents all the good that you have sung, all the good that you've heard in prophecies, all the good that you have seen established in Jerusalem, this is Lord, the prophecies. And Isaiah 2, 2 and 3 says, shall come to pass in the last days. And we know that that is began in the first century because we see it not only in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, but in Acts 2 that ties back to Joel 2, uh, where, where, where we see the prophecy there in Joel 2, 16 and following about the last days. And the children of Israel should have been able to recognize, wait, this is the prophecy where it would come to pass in the last days. They should have been able to see this. But let me come back here to Isaiah 2. Shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways and will walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You see, they had these prophecies. Zion meant something to them of old, but the prophecies that say it's going to mean even more coming forward. And Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings. 
that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings out of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy king reigneth. And when you think about the book of Romans and, and how this prophecy is used in, in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, as relative to Israel being saved, it's God has given them everything they needed to understand Jesus is the representation of all that is good coming out of Zion. In Isaiah 62, 10 through 12, go through, go through the gates, prepare you the way of the people, cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones, lift up a standard for the people. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, say ye to the daughter of Zion, behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him. His work is before him, and they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and thou shalt be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. In the book of Obadiah, here is a one-chapter Old Testament prophecy, and it's concerning the Edomites. So even, even when God was not directly talking to the children of Israel about prophecies they may relate to, but a prophecy about the Edomites being humbled. Obadiah 1.17 says, But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. It's, it's just God has spoken it over and over again. Micah, in Micah 4, 1 and 2, like Isaiah 2, 2 and 3, it says, In the last days shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established and the top of the mountains shall be exalted above the hills and the people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach of his ways and we'll walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Zion was significant of old and significant in the prophecies of what is to come. Jesus, like we talked about last week, is that precious cornerstone. We talked about that when we looked at 1 Peter 2, 4, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Those that have faith in Christ would not be confounded or would not be ashamed. In Romans 10, 11, the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And what's that mean for us going forward? 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God hath not appointed unto us wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll not be confounded. We'll not be ashamed. Why? Because as the scriptures pointed forward and as we look forward in that prophetic wording, we'll not be ashamed. We'll not be confounded. We aren't the ones who are stumbling at the stumbling block. And when I say we, Think about the people to whom this letter is addressed. They are people of faith. We see that in the first chapter. Verse eight, whom having not seen, you love, and whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. In verses 20 and 21 of that first chapter, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. They were believers. The difference between the disobedient, the Jews who rejected 
the chief cornerstone in believers is believers understand how to see Jesus. We get who he is. John 3, 36, just think about a, a string of scriptures here, and this could be hours if we wanted it to be, but I'll keep it, I'll keep it shorter. John 3, 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Believers understand that in Christ there's everlasting life. And John 6, 66 through 69, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, we also go away. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son, living God. But this is the way believers see Jesus, as he who has the words of eternal life. It is for us, not he is not a stone of stumbling. We don't stumble at the word. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection life, and he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. Listen, we who believe, we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We understand that. Martha, who he was talking to in that context, she told him, verse 27, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which shall come into the world. Believers get who Jesus is, the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, says, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So unlike the Jews who rejected him as the Christ, rejected him as the Son of God, in fact, when Jesus said to the Jews that he and the Father are one in John 10 and verse 30, the Jews didn't fall to their knees and worship him. The Jews in John 10, 31 took up stones to stone him. <laughs> That's the difference between the believer and the unbelieving Jew. And Romans 5, 21, the believer seeing Jesus, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. We recognize by Jesus Christ our Lord, we have eternal life. We recognize that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 6, verse 23. Paul expressed in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 16, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor, and injurious, but obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. We see Jesus as he who is able to save those 
that are even the chief of all sinners. The Jews, they initially believed, some of them did. And by the way, you know, faith is a continual practice. It's not like once you believe, you're always a believer, or that once you believe, you're always going to be strong and continue in the faith. We, we, we ought to know better than that if we have studied the Word of God, if we have understood the Word of God. We know in the parable of the sower in Luke 8, 13, that they on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy and these which have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. Notice the case of this. John 8, 30 through 40. As he spake this words, many believed on him. Then said to those Jews, Jews which believed on him. So these are at the moment believers. He said, if you continue my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Jesus answered unto them. Jesus answered unto them. Who? The believers. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. See that? Wait. They're believers, but Jesus tells them that his word has no place in them. He says, I speak that which I've seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. Then answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. You said to them, if you were Abraham's children... You would do the works of Abraham, but now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I've heard of God. This did not Abraham. And if you continue to read, it doesn't get better in the context. He tells them there of their father, the devil, and it the context just goes downhill from there. The Jews, they believe for a moment, but their faith wasn't a genuine lasting faith. It just didn't continue with them. They were the disobedient builders. When we look at Acts chapter 4, great commentary on 1 Peter 2, 6-8. Now, in, not, not when we look at 1 Timothy 4, I'm sorry, Acts 4. In Acts chapter 4, the context here. In chapter 3, Peter and John had healed a lame man sitting outside the temple. This caused an audience in Jerusalem and draw attention. In Acts 4, 1 through 12, as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people. Think about how sad that statement is. The religious leaders among the Jews are grieved that people are hearing the word of God. How terrible, right? Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid their hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. It came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John 
and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and all the people of Israel, by, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Did you hear that? This is the stone which is set at naught of you builders. So if you have any confusion to whom the builders are, this context gives us all clarity. The builders are the Jews. That is, through the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Galatians 3.8 says, The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So some, some Old Testament context to that. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of the country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto the land that I will show thee. And I will make thee of a great nation, and will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and will bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse thee. And in thee, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In Genesis 26, 1 through 5, there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac, so here we have the, the succession, you know, Abraham, then Isaac. Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, under Gerar. The Lord appeared in him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, I will be with thee and will bless thee for unto thee and unto thy seed while I give these countries and will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. I will make thy seed multiply as the stars of heaven and will give unto thy seed all the, these countries and thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept charge my commandments, my statutes and my laws. And this continued throughout the Old Testament, where the seed of Israel, that is Jacob, were God's chosen ones. First Chronicles 16, 13, ye seed of Israel, his servants, ye children of Jacob, his chosen ones. And Isaiah 41, 8, but thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Confirmed even in the preaching of the apostles in the New Testament, like when uh, Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, 21, 23, Afterward, spoke of these prophecies. Says afterward, they desired a king. God gave them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. When he had removed him, he raised unto them David to be their king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, "I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will." Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a savior, 
Jesus. So you you can follow that bloodline. You can look at Matthew 1 and see the genealogies. Luke 3, you see the genealogies. These prophecies pointed forth that through Abraham and his descendants, Jesus comes into the world. Therefore, they are the builders. How is that? That is through their seed. But they failed to see that that promise was Jesus. When Paul was writing the Galatians who fell into apostasy, and going back to parts of the law of Moses like circumcision, Galatians 3.16, and by the way, circumcision also predated the law of Moses. I understand that. It goes back to Genesis 17 with Abraham, but it was continued law of Moses. Galatians 3.16 says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not into seeds as of many, but of one into thy seed, which is Christ. There is all clarifications that you need there. But the builders, the Jews, the children of Israel, they failed to understand the nature of the seed promise was to benefit everybody. Remember the language in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, 18, where God said to Abraham, and thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou also obeyed my voice. Like we read that he said to Isaac, right? And Galatians 3, 26 through 29 says, you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That, folks, is what the children of Israel that were disobedient, that rejected Christ, failed to see. In fact, even though they were that seed of Abraham and they wanted to proclaim that loudly like we saw in John chapter 8. Think about what they said concerning Jesus. In Matthew 27, 15 through 25, now at, the, at, now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was sat down in the judgment seat, his wife said unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priest and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Do you see the builder's mindset here? To destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with this Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. So listen to this. When we talk about what the builders rejected, think about the depth of what that meant. And notice how this gets from horrific to ultra horrific. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, 
saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and our children. Wow. Wow. And you know, it's no wonder why Jesus speaking before of what was going to come to him prophetically said in Luke 17, 25, but first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this, notice, generation. How terrible. How terrible. The stone, the chief cornerstone, the source of salvation, the Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world, the builder said, let his blood be on us and our children. Folks, as a nation, as an entirety of people, they just refuse to submit to God. In Romans 10, 1 through 3, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Later in that context, verse 20 and 21, but Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. When we think about the history of Israel and how long it has been of that generation, Moses said in Deuteronomy 9, 24, you have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. And Deuteronomy 31, 27, for I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck. Behold, while I am yet alive with you this day, you have been rebellious against the Lord and how much more after my death. Isaiah wrote, Isaiah 1, 1, and 1 through 9, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear ye, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Ah, oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They provoke the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken anymore? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even of the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devoured in your presence. It is desolate, as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage and a vineyard, as a lodge and a garden of cucumbers and besieged city, except the Lord of hosts has left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom and should have been like unto Gomorrah. Remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19? Burned down. At the conclusion of the matter, 
Lot and his two daughters are all that remain. Isaiah also, Isaiah 65, 2. I spread out my hands all the day under rebellious people, which walked in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. Ezekiel said in Ezekiel chapter 20, 18 through 21, I said to their children in the wilderness, walk ye not in the statutes of your fathers, neither observe their judgments, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes, keep my judgments and do them. Hallow my Sabbaths, that they shall be a sign between me and you, that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. Notwithstanding, the children rebelled against me. They walked not in my statutes, neither kept my judgments to do them, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. They polluted my Sabbaths, and I said I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the wilderness. So as a prophet, Ezekiel is pointing forth the word of the Lord of old. What have they been? Rebellious. Stephen, before they killed him, Acts 7, 51 through 53, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do all resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the dispensations of angels, and hath not kept it. So from generation to generation to generation to generation, there's a continuation where the builders keep rejecting the will of God over and over and over again. Keep rejecting what God has said. But that doesn't stop the Lord from fulfilling all the Father had promised. They rejected him, but he's still the chief, the head cornerstone. Think about what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 20. And, and again, you know, one of the reasons we use so many scriptures in these studies is they explain it for us. I mean, we get to see what Peter wrote, 1 Peter 2, 6 through 8, clarified in the, the best of terms. Luke 20, 9 through 18 is just great, where he began to speak to the people in a parable. This is the parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth the husbandman and went into a far country for a long time. And at season, he sent a servant to the husbandman that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husband beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent another servant. They beat him also and entreated him shamefully, sent him away. And again, he sent a third and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son whom they will reverence him when they see him. And when the husband saw him, they reasoned among themselves saying, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do to them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. And he beheld them and said, What is this then is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Now notice, you think the children of Israel didn't have an ability to understand things? The very next verse, the chief priests and the scribes, same hour, sought to lay hands on him, 
and they feared the people. Notice, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. Look, <laughs> they got it. They got it. And though they rejected him, it didn't stop the Lord's work from being accomplished. We talked about Mark chapter 12 uh, last week where verses 10 and 11 says, have you not read in the scriptures of the stone which the builders rejected become the head of the corner? This was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in their eyes. It didn't stop the Lord's will from being accomplished. Even after they killed him, God raised him. Acts 5.30, God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye slew and hanged on a tree and then exalted him above all things. In Ephesians 1.19-23, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and sat him in his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world that is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So though... The builders, the children of Israel said, we refuse, we reject, we don't want him to be our Lord. That didn't stop the Lord from accomplishing all that he had desired. Well, what caused them to stumble was the word. And that is very much what happens to people today who want to disobey God. They stumble at the word. And that stumbling at the word, that disobedient, just got worse throughout the first century where they not only rejected the Lord, but as we saw and continue to see, they wanted to work to continue to reject the building after, even after the church was established. And 1 Thessalonians 2, 14 through 16 says, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye have suffered like things from your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. So they, they continued their rejection, not just to say, we don't want him to be our Lord, but we don't want him to be Lord for anyone else either. Now, if they had been of the truth, they would have listened to Jesus. In John 8, 47, if we had kept reading from where we were earlier, uh, where we looked at verses 30 through 40, John 8, 47 says, He that is of God heareth God's word. Ye therefore hear them not, because you're not of God. Jesus to Pilate, in John 18, 36 through 37, said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest I am king, to this end was I born, and for this cause came I in the world, that I should bear witness to unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. They were the builders, but they were not of the truth. You know, I wonder if it ever dawned upon them that in all that they were doing, and we're going to talk about this here in just a moment, where they were the disobedient builders as as verse 8 concludes, whereunto also they were appointed. wonder if they ever realized that their disobedience was in fulfillment of God's word. I wonder if it ever dawned on them that we're doing what God said we would do. I, I don't think they got it. 
This letter that we're talking to 1 Peter is not written to disobedient people. 1 Peter 1.14, remember when we talked about as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance. So these obedient people aren't being accused of anything, aren't being told anything about their being lost. Well, they're being told about the disobedient builders. And though disobedient builders, the unfortunate thing is, is even though they were God's children of old and chosen to bring Christ in the world, they're going to have a damnation, not a reward. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9 says, To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, and flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verses 28 through 31, he that despised, despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose you shall be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherein he was sanctified an unholy thing, had done despite under the Spirit of grace, for we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. What a sad thing that the builders, they who did the labor, and by which many of them suffered for doing the labor, that they're going to get rewarded with everlasting punishment. Remember who Jesus is the Savior of. Not the disobedient, not those that reject him. Hebrews 5, 8, 9, Though where he were a son, yet learning obedience by the things which he suffered, being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now I mentioned, I wonder if it dawned on them at any point that, hey, all of this was according to the prophecies. All of this is what God knew was coming. Romans 9, 1 through 26 serves as great commentary to what it means when we talk about the disobedient builders doing what they were appointed to do. So I think it's really important for us to go ahead and do a quick read of this. Romans 9, 1 through 26, just because it explains it so much better than I can, here is the inspired word of God. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing, wit bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whose concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all the children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children, being 
not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Have not the power, the potter, power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and unto another dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And then he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath afore prepared unto glory. Even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he saith also, and I'll see, I will call them my people, which are not my people, her beloved, which was not my beloved. And it shall come to pass, in the place where I say to them, ye are not my people, there they shall be called the children of the living God. So we have our explanation. Why did God put up with that disobedient builder, the children of Israel, for so long? Well, to bring in other people. They were the vessels fitted unto wrath, but he was long-suffering, not to their benefit, but to the benefit of all nations that all may be saved. Like we talked about earlier in Galatians 3, 26 through 29, it is not to the Jew or to the Greek, but all the children of God by faith, as may have been baptized into Christ that have put on Christ, those are the seed of Abraham in the sense that God ultimately meant all nations of the earth would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. Israel was in the past the chosen people of God. Psalm 135.4, For the Lord had chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. Judah specifically, the tribe of Judah, and back in Genesis 49 and verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor lar giver from between his feet until Shiloh come and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And, and we know that this is a fulfillment speaking forward of Christ. For Hebrews 7, 14, it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah of the tribe of Moses. Of the tribe, Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. He, Jesus wasn't a Levite, though he is a high priest. And if you read the context of Hebrews 7, he's a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, the priesthood during the days of Abraham. It all ties together, folks. It's beautiful. But the builders refused to see it. They, 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 just, they just refused. They were disobedient people that just refused. All that came about 
was foreknown to God and happened according to his will. It's not like the children of Israel stepped back and said, we're going to stop the plan of God. They couldn't even if they wanted to. But their rejection was very much part of the plan, like we read in Romans 9, that commentary on this whole lesson. Well, in Acts 2, 22 through 24, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you. As ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Hey, like, like I brought up earlier, I wonder if they knew they were doing the will of God. They did not accomplish what they wanted to do in a way that would spoil God's plan. And John 19, hear what transpires between Pilate and Jesus. Verses 1 through 11. Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Bring, behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him, and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate, therefore, heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again in the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate said to him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and power to release thee? So look at Pilate. Pilate says, I'm the one with the authority here. Here's Jesus' answer. Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivereth me unto thee hath the greater sin. The builders all alone were part of the plan of rejection. Had Jesus wanted to change what they were doing, he could have. Well, you think he couldn't have escaped like he had many times when they sought to kill him and it wasn't yet the time? Sure, he could have. Do you think that Jesus couldn't have decided to bring his angels down and fight against those that took him in and said, I'm not going anywhere with you? Sure, he could have. Jesus could have done anything he wanted. Like he said in Matthew 26, 53, Thinkest thou that I cannot pray to my Father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? I mean, he only needed one and he didn't need any anyway. He's Jesus. I mean, the man that can raise this the dead, heal the sick, walk on water, and calm the storms. He could have done whatever he wanted. But he was doing the Father's will. As were 
even though the Jews didn't want to accept it, they in rejecting him. Folks, he is the stone the builders rejected. But to us who believe, we know how to see him. He's precious. We're going to pick up from this next week. And we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. If all goes according to plan. Which says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in times past were not a people, but now are the people of God. Which hath not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I hope this lesson has been thought-provoking and beneficial to you. I love it. We're talking about Jesus. I love it. I love it when we talk about the power of God and the fulfillment of all His plan. I love it because I am a Gentile, as are most likely you. And we are saved through the rejection of Jesus by the Jews. How wonderful. When the devil's workers, and I'm calling that and that because Jesus did, John 8, 44. When the devil's workers do much more good than the harm they intended. Thank you for listening. I hope that if all goes according to plan, I'll have a podcast out for you on Tuesday. Until then, I will say goodbye.